One word before I start my sermon uh, this morning is that we have a town hall meeting coming up August 27th. And, um, you know, I have this... That was a good meeting too in August. You missed it. <laughs> We're going to have an even better one in October, as I was saying. <laughs> and, um, you know, I have this vision for, like, if I close my eyes, I can see it. And it's filled with... You know, informative things, but it's really more of a celebration of what we sense, what we think God is doing in us and around us and through us. And I just just imagine us wanting to come to these meetings to celebrate and to acknowledge God and give Him credit. And so uh, we're going to keep moving closer towards that. You know, a kind of meeting that you'd want to come to and you would feel like you missed out on something really positive and energizing and special. And so I hope we can get there. And not like a performance-oriented kind of high production meeting, but just something that's real and uh, life-giving to all of us. Because in, in my experience, you know, town hall meeting is like, oh my gosh, we got to sit through this thing. Let's make it as short as we can. Let's answer questions and put out fires. And then we'll be thankful afterwards if we can escape the meeting unscathed. Uh, I would love to do the thanking in the meeting uh, for what uh, God is doing. And he's always doing stuff. He always is. And so come, please. We're going to offer free lunch. And we want everybody to be a part of that and help uh, add to that vision to uh, have that kind of time together. Okay? Uh, Let me read for us the passage. I've asked for uh, extra time today, so you're going to get an extra dose of uh, uh, Peter here. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5 to 11. Turn to your Bibles and uh, or follow along with me here. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, somewhat would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I come with a little bit of a preacher's baggage. I've preached on this passage over three dozen times. And uh, this is one of the very first sermons I ever preached was on this passage. And so I come to this passage today. Uh, Probably some of you having heard me preach this back in, I think, September maybe or October. uh, It was back when I first came. Uh, I preached a variation of this sermon Uh, So I have history, I've had a lot of hours, and there's some subjectivity that I also bring to this passage, because if you don't know me, this is something that's very, very true about me, is I really, really, really feel acutely my own need for love. Now, 
we all want love, and that's part of what I'm talking about today. But I really like long for it, like I want it. You know, for some of us, it's buried under career ambitions or, you know, other things. Mine is like right there on the surface. I want L-O-V-E, love. And I don't want it in the form of, you know, human love. I want it in divine form. Like I want grace, what we're going to talk about today. I want the real thing, like all the time. It's absolutely exhausting to be around me. Just insatiable longing pining for love in this guy right here. So there's some history hours and subjectivity. There's my baggage right there. Um, I came to this passage through a very painful season in my life. And I came through this verse here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, which says this. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the only place in the whole Bible where the Bible comes out, right out, and says, this is the definition of love. This is love. He says, you ready people? This is it. The thing that wars have been fought for. The things uh, for which kingdoms have risen and fallen. The very thing that love songs have been written about, books and poetry, the thing that you are pursuing underneath all the other pursuits in your life, whether you know it or not, I'm going to define it for you. Okay, and this is John saying this, the beloved disciple John. He says this, This is love, not... You got to be shaken up already right here. Because we've all been searching, longing for love. But we've been all looking for it in each other. Ask the people around me how crushed they feel by my need for them to be perfect. Well, it's not really about perfectionism. I don't need them to be perfect. It's not about them. I need them to love me perfectly, to read my mind perfectly, to know me totally, accept me, treasure me, adore me. Right? Perfectly. And I want it from them. I want my job to speak my heart's language. I want my purpose, where I live, the food I eat, every song I listen to, every book I read, all the researching that I do. What am I looking for? I'm looking for love. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. Not. You've been looking for it in every place except the right place. Love, what we call love, the thing that our hearts long for, what the human experience is longing for, begins with the Bible telling us that's not it. We've been looking in all of the wrong places. This is love, not that we. It's not a human thing at all. This is not an earthly thing. Not that we loved God, but that He Loved us. It's not us towards God. It's not us towards anything. It's not in us at all. At our shining best, we are what the Bible calls earthen vessels, jars of clay, cracked, leaky, empty jars. We don't have love. This is love that He loved us. The Bible begins to show us 
that God is love, that he himself is love. God isn't loving, he's being himself, and he is love. And so from him comes love. For he alone, nothing else in any human being of anything of human origin is love. Only him. Okay? So love is defined as God towards us and not us towards God. Another way to say that is love is primal. It means, primal just means first. That this is the first and most fundamental core essence, essential thing that we're looking for in everything that we're looking for. And so all the quote-unquote love that you and I have experienced, it's disappointing. There is no love that has never not disappointed you. That just has never happened. Right? You understand that part of what it means to be human is to be disappointed by each other. Because God alone is love. This is love that he loved us. Not us. So four uh, points that I want to go over today. Uh, The love of God is unconditional. The unconditional love of God is alien. The unconditional and alien love of God is threatening. And the unconditional, alien, and threatening love of God is primal. You ready? It's a little bit longer today, so I put up some more pictures and stuff, so hopefully you'll stay with me. But I think the content is very, very compelling. Um, First, the love of God is unconditional. I learned about love a lot through my daughter, first daughter, Emmy. This is her crazy 10-year-old self. She is taking what, what it's called, some of you may not know this, but these are called selfies. And it's when... Uh, teenagers take pictures of themselves on the phone and it scares me to death. Just, she takes a selfie, at least one, every single day. Like, every day, this is part of her to-do thing. Like, comes home from school, mom, where's the phone, where's the iPad? Give me that click. Frightening, absolutely. I have four daughters, gonna have a lot of selfies. But uh, I've actually said it so that every picture she takes on any device comes right to my phone. So I know every picture she's taking. Smart. Uh, (laughs) I love this girl very, very much. This is not how she used to look. She used to look more like this. Um, That's her right there. And uh, Susie happened to be right there, ready to take a picture as I was changing one of my very first diapers. She was 7 pounds and 12 ounces, tiny little thing, but the poop of a lumberjack. (laughs) She was a great little baby, especially when she was immobile. You know, they're like pet rocks when they're first born, because you put them here and they stay here. You put them there and they stay there. And one day she decided to fall asleep right here. On, in the center of our queen-size bed. And uh, we walked away. Susie and I went upstairs. And then in a few minutes, we heard... <laughs> Every parent knows what that is. Followed by a long, silent inhaling, which I didn't hear, but I could imagine. And then a wail. She had decided to become mobile for the first time in her life. Rock grew legs and fell off the bed. And so I, I just using my crazy first-time parent... 
you know, spider sense, knew exactly what had happened. I'm darting down the stairs faster than I could ever imagine I could carry myself. And I'm praying this one prayer, and I still remember it. I prayed, God, please take the pain away. Do whatever you need to do to take away the pain. If you need to double the pain and transfer it to me, because that's how your economy works, do it. I don't care. Whatever sacrifice you need, but don't let my Emmy be hurt. Like, first-time parents are crazy. If you are a first-time parent here, you're crazy. People don't tell you this, but you're crazy. You know who I'm talking about? (laughs) Y'all are crazy. But that's what we are. That's love. It's intense, right? Emmy was not my first love. My first love, as you all know, was uh, Susie right there next to her maid of honor, Wendy. And, uh, and this is me uh, outside her dorm room climbing the tree trying to get her attention. Now, another dangerous specimen that walk, um, that walk amongst us is the teenager with raging hormones. I remember this. I journaled about this, and I reread it again last night, the journal entry from October 25. That's it right there, right? And uh, I wrote in there, I just knew if I climbed this tree... I would get her attention and I would become irresistible to her. I don't know. This had to be done. If you have a teenage boy, like stuff like this, it's not a choice. It just has to be done. Okay? Uh, So that's Susie. And I just fell in love with her. You know the story. I pursued her for four years. And there's another longer story where I pushed her out out of the way of a moving car and got hit in her stead. You know, the Bible calls that propitiation, (laughs) right? Sacrificial, substitutionary love. And uh, so I love Susie, and uh, I would die for Susie, and uh, I do die for her every day. That's what marriage is. You die for each other. And and the joke there is, if marriage doesn't kill you, what is marriage? (laughs) But here's another truth. Uh, Though I would die for Susie, I could never, ever let Emmy die for Susie. See, I love Susie as I love myself, but I love Emmy more than I love myself. I myself, I can bear pain, but I cannot bear the thought of Emmy in pain. Do you understand that greater love has no one than this? That he laid down his own life for his friends, except the father who lays down the life of his son for his enemies. And this is the Pauline logic that I want you to hear. Look at verse 8 with me here. Let me read it for us together. It says this, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, God died for us. Does it say that in your Bibles? So you need to fact check me because I just throw stuff at you. Let's read it again one more time. It says this, right? But Christ demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Does it say that? No. What does it say? Okay, one more time. But God the Father, God the Father, the first member of the Trinity, Here, God the Father demonstrates His own love, His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the greatest 
expression of love there is. That God the Father would send His Son as a way to demonstrate His love, own love, towards us. And not only is this a great love, but there's a context to this love. Here are four key words that jump out at me that help me really appreciate the force of this love. Verse 6, helpless. Again, ungodly. Verse 8, sinners. Verse 10, enemies. God the Father demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners and helpless and ungodly and enemies. He didn't just love us because we were asking for His love, because we looked kind of shiny and pretty. There was some attractive trait about us. We were compelling in some way. We were lovable. You know, we had a good sense of humor. No. We were helpless, ungodly sinners and enemies. We were not contributing to that equation at all. It's just God plus nothing equals love. God plus our lovability. God plus our attractiveness. God plus our goodness, morality, obedience, any of these things. Nothing. God the Father demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were yet helpless, ungodly sinners and enemies, Christ died for us. What this says is that the love of God in Christ Jesus is absolutely unconditional. There are no conditions that we met before, now, or will ever meet. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. What do you call it when love is absolutely, totally unconditional? It's the word grace. Grace means unconditional love. Now, you know, in my earlier iterations of this love, I mean of this sermon... Uh, I had things like unconditional and undeserved and unworthy. And I, I just thinking through all of these words. And I really, I don't need any of it. I just need unconditional. It encompasses everything. Zero conditions. Not before, not now, not ever. When love is unconditional, it is called grace. This unconditional love of God in Christ Jesus, is also alien to us. It's completely foreign. It's not like anything we have ever experienced, can ever experience, or will ever experience, not in our lifetimes, not on this side of heaven. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, says that God's love is so wide and long and high and deep that this love surpasses knowledge. It means that the human experience doesn't allow us to know this love at all. At all. You can have a perfect mom. You can have a perfect dad, perfect siblings, and the world's greatest friends who would do anything for you. 
You can have the best authority figures ever. You could have a government that checks up on you every day to make sure you have everything that you possibly can need as a citizen. And you can experience perfect, quote-unquote, love for the whole of your life, and yet the love of God in Christ Jesus will still be totally, utterly foreign and alien to you. You cannot know this love. And you know how I know this? Because if God the Father could do anything to convey His love to you, apart from sending His Son to die for you, He would do it. Take this cup from me. If possible, if at all possible, remove this cup. Is it possible? And God the Father created the world says, no. There's nothing in this world that's like me. I'm so holy, so other and different than my creation. My creation cannot know the nature and quality and depth of the love of the Creator. You cannot know it. The only way for us to know it is through not knowledge, not experience, but through revelation. And that's what we have in verse 5. Where Paul says, apart from the Holy Spirit, pouring His love into our hearts, we cannot know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I, I do not like this verse as a person in the business like i wish i can control this whole experience more where just i just inject a little bit of this and marketing and some and then you just just feel god's love and you're like oh my gosh you got to come to this place and we just start exploding our church walls cannot contain us because we can have the ability to just just inspire and you know, facilitate and create and generate the love of God in Christ Jesus. I wish I could just manufacture it. And that's part of the stress of being a pastor is, is believing on some level that I can be enough to generate enough to grow a church or something so I can look better. And then when I can't, that's called anxiety. That's called stress. You know, I'm just stuck between a rock, the problem, that's you, and the hard place, which is the other church, the bigger church. I wanna, I'm just stuck living right here in, in, the, in, in between these two churches. It doesn't work. I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit to do that work. Just Christianity, the whole business is a bad business model. You know, it's like, cannot be bought, cannot be manufactured. Your mama cannot give it to you. If your mama can't give it, who, who's got it? Nobody. Nobody has it. So I got married. Susie surely must have it. You all, She's great, but she's not that great. I need the Holy Spirit to pour into my heart so that my so that I can cry out abba father I can I can know that God is my father and I can release my dad I can release my mom and my kids and the church and Susie and my friends and everything can become proportionate you know I'm trying to extract 
stuff out of the people around me and it's crushing them. Man, I have talked to a lot of you. I understand if a young person is looking for love and some of you are much older and still you're complaining to me about your spouse and I'm thinking, get over it! Don't you know you've been married for 50 years? He does not have what you're looking for. And I'm sitting there going, when I've been married 50 years, am I still going to want it from Susie? Have, when am I going to learn that at best she's just human? And hope does not disappoint. Well, my hopes disappoint. Remember we talked about this? But the hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's revelation. God has to do that work. He has to break into your little world, your world of flesh and blood, of day to day, sunrise to sunset, and has to show you, allow you to experience internally the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Third, the unconditional and alien love of God is threatening. Now, there are lots and lots of arguments against grace, and I'm going to address four specific arguments next week. Um, you know, arguments like, can I take advantage of God's grace? It's not fair to God if grace is true. And uh, what about the Christian movement? You know, how are we going to uh, continue to exist and thrive as an, as an entity if grace is true? It's just a bum deal for God who keeps having to dole it out. So we'll talk about all of that uh, next Weak, but I want to give you one argument for grace and uh, maybe a hint towards you that will be helpful to you about why uh, it is so, God's love of God is so threatening to us at the end of the day. Um, I was in a car accident when I was in college. I was a passenger and uh, this um, a friend of mine was driving the car. He had never driven before and uh, he bought this first uh, his first car in America. He was an international student. And uh, he flipped us over. He first hit a car, overcorrected, hit another car, overcorrected, and then started flipping. And witnesses told us we flipped about five or six times because we were going probably about 85 miles an hour. Because uh, Highway uh, 75, going up from Ann Arbor to the UP, the speed limit was 75 at the time. So I'm thinking maybe we're going 85. Right? And uh, we were upside down, hanging by our seatbelts, uh, all the glass blown out. We had like a thousand cuts on our faces and hands just from all the little nicks. And then uh, soon enough, an ambulance came, and this medic came down, knelt down, and he looked into our car, and he said, Is everyone okay in there? <laughs> and then we looked around and we said, Yeah, I, th- I think we're okay. There's three of us in there. And the medic said, thank God. I thought I was going to bring home corpses today. Somebody up there was looking out for you. That's what he said. Now, initially, you think that's a compliment, right? It's like, God likes you. It's like, but you realize when somebody says you're lucky, it's an indictment. 
It means that you're not smart enough, competent enough, resilient enough. You didn't plan enough. You didn't execute well enough. And so the only thing that should have happened according to the laws of the universe is you should have died. But you didn't because somebody else intervened. There was divine intervention in some way. So instead of bringing home corpses today, you guys are alive. When somebody says they bless you, it's an indictment. It's saying, without that blessing, good luck. If somebody says good luck, they're saying, it's really hard. And most people die. But I'm glad you're going to take a shot at it. Go for it. That's what luck is. Luck is an indictment. Grace is an indictment. It's saying to you, you don't have control. You don't get to participate in this equation. You have nothing to add. It's like showing up at a potluck with nothing. You just feel dumb. Or it's like showing up at your own surprise birthday party and you feel absolutely humbled by the love of people gathered there. Because all of a sudden you realize how evil and wicked and undeserving you are of the love all around you. And so the Apostle Peter, when Jesus performs a miracle, says, Away from me, Lord. Away from me. I'm a sinful man. My lips are unclean. Get away from me. Because he's in the presence of grace and he realizes without Jesus saying a word how unworthy he is. And so at our core, at our core, you and me, we all hate grace. We hate it. It's threatening to us because it's a reminder that without grace, we are not going to make it. And we so badly want to contribute. Two weeks ago, we got a thank you card for a thank you card that we had written for a gift. And we were wondering, are they going to write back? <laughs> it's like we, we just want to add something so bad. We're so desperate to somehow continue, maintain and contribute that relationship or that grace towards us. By the way, I'm not knocking thank you because I really like it when I get it. So, thank you. <laughs> Grace, I think, um, there's a true self that longs for grace, but there's a false self that just is scared to death of it. So at the end, it's not anger, it's not discipline, it's not fear, it's not guilt, shame, pressure, or goodness. But it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And it's those who are forgiven much that love much. Lastly, uh, the unconditional, alien, and threatening love of God is primal. And primal, as I said, it just means first. It's the first thing that needs to happen. And so in the Bible, when they talk about things like our obedience and our love, all that is assuming the primal love, assuming a response to grace, which we will talk about next week. But I think for so many of us, we short-circuit the process prematurely. We begin to taste a little bit of grace, and we immediately start, trying to contribute. 
we taste just so little grace that we don't experience the power, the drowning power of grace. We say, God, thank you so much. I got it from here. And this is what we call the Christian experience. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this. We love. When do we love? We love because he first loved us. Everything that we call love is a response to love. The first and only true love. Perfect love. And at our best, we are reflecting back the love of God because we're vessels. We're filled with his love and then it overflows to other people. And that's the love of God. That's not your love. That's not the love of Peter. It's God's love. If you want to love your kids, right? If you want to love your spouses, if you want to be a good citizen, you need God's love. Nothing else cuts it. It's not love. You are complex. And you do not have love the way God is love. And Paul writes here in verse 11, not only this, talking about God's love, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Folks, if God has loved you then, how much more does he love you now? If he loved you while you were helpless and ungodly and sinners and enemies, how much more does he love you now? This is Paul's logic here in these verses. God loves you. God loves me. And to believe that is the whole point of Christianity. Let me end uh, with a story and a joke. I found this, I came across this joke about three months ago. And it's taken every disciplinary fiber in my body to not use it before then. Um, But it's uh, poignant and it's a little cheesy. So it's very apropos for a preacher. Okay, ready? As a guitarist, I play many gigs. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family. He had no friends. So the service was to be at a pauper cemetery in the back country. As I was not familiar with the backwoods, I got lost. I finally arrived an hour late and saw the funeral guy had evidently gone and the hearse was nowhere in sight. There were only the diggers and crew left and they were eating lunch. I felt badly and apologized to the men for being late. I went to the side of the grave and looked down and the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I started to play. The workers put down their lunches and began to gather around. I played out my heart and soul for this man with no family and no friends. I played like I've never played before for this homeless man. And as I played the song, Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept. I wept. We all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my guitar and started for my car. Though my head hung low, my heart was full. As I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I never seen nothing like that before. And I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. (laughs) Apparently, I'm still lost. (laughs) 
I really relate to this story as a Christian because my head is hung low often and my heart is full. I'm singing Amazing Grace, but really, I'm still lost. I want to invite you to ask God, ask God the Holy Spirit today to give you a fresh outpouring, a fresh new understanding of what it means that God the Father is gracious towards us, that His love is unconditional. And we can only know it not through memories of love in our lives, but through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit directly into our hearts. God wants direct contact with us. Not through the human mind or through the human experience. Not through the people around you. But directly from Him. He wants you to know His gracious love. Would you invite Him to do that with me today? Let's pray together. Father, I confess that um, though my heart often feels full, I really do feel lost, and I can tell by the people that I'm crushing around me and the disappointments in my heart. It doesn't take much for me to feel dejected or a little bit just off and funky. And, and I know what love from you can do. It can just fill my heart instantly with joy and happiness and hope and move me to tears to hear you say my name, to say that you died for me and you love me and you will never leave me and forsake me. For me, in my heart of hearts, to experience the fullness of the love of God in Christ Jesus through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what I ask for, for myself. And I ask that for everybody in this room, kids upstairs, everywhere. Holy Spirit, do your work of ministry in us right now. In Jesus' name.